Hi, my name is A.D. Silverstein, and I'd like to welcome you back to another episode of the Impresario Rock and Roll Radio Show. This episode will feature Band of Skulls, and you are listening to their song, Patterns. As I'm sure you know, discovering great new bands on the internet is not an easy thing to do. With that in mind, I was looking for a band to interview in order to close out the first season of this podcast. After weeks of searching and not finding anything notable, I decided to ask Ollie Austin from the Moulettes for a little help. Ollie very kindly sent me a list of bands to check out, and while all the bands on his list were interesting, there were a few bands that really stood out. One of those gems was Band of Skulls. When I first looked them up, I heard a song called Patterns. It was raw and driving rock and roll, the likes of which is not often heard these days. After doing some research and listening to a few more of the band's tunes, not only was I impressed with their music, but also with their accomplishments. Their song I Know What I Am was ranked number one on the iTunes International Singles Chart. Their music also has been featured in Guitar Hero, one of the FIFA World Cup video games, the TV show Skins, as well as one of the Twilight movies. Lucky for me, Ollie introduced me to Emma Richardson, the bass player and singer in the band, and she told me that they had an upcoming show at the Mercury Lounge in New York City and were interested in doing an interview. Band of Skulls consists of Russell Marsden on guitar and vocals and Emma Richardson on bass and vocals. So Russell, how did the band meet? We met when we left our own high schools and we met at that next stage, which is Sixth Form College, which is two years. And, and Emma and I both were studying art. But just we just happened to meet in like in the green room or whatever. You know, you're at school, there's like the tribes of people. And you can tell if someone is cool or not. And there are people that you wouldn't speak to. I mean, it sounds kind of not very fair, but you would make friends with the people that dress like you and you, you wear your influences on your sleeve at that age, I think. So you can just tell who's cool or who's not. And I've, you know, I suggested to Emma if she wanted to come along and not try out for our band, but come along and just make some music with me and Matt. And, uh, and she said she would. And... She came along, and we kind of tr- not tricked her into doing it, but she's, I'm a singer-songwriter. Well, like, ha- what, what do you think about bass? And, um, and we, we even have the tape. We made it uh, like a cassette tape recording of that first day as well, so it's pretty amazing, really. The, um, it, you know, like, it gelled, and we went to, the, to a bar afterwards and, like, had the tape on a Walkman and played it to back to ourselves and congratulated ourselves. That was probably normally our style. <laughs> and what, what were you playing? Uh, we were playing original songs that we'd, I'd, writ, I'd written something. Matt and I had written some songs. And very, I think the second week we did one of Emma's songs. So, and that started this um, collaborative um, songwriting thing from almost the first day. So having a background in both visual art and music, do you feel like the two come from the same creative impulse? It's all quite similar, it's all quite mixed up and it all responds you know, to one another. Um, I'm speaking to, for myself, but work, working with like um, painting and 
writing music and lyrics and stuff it's like over the years I've sort of noticed a bit of a pattern of how I personally work and it is throwing down a, a bunch of ideas that don't necessarily make sense in the beginning and then standing back and seeing things in there that you could work from and things kind of evolve kind of quite naturally and it's like luck and chance a lot of the time so in that way they're both quite similar and yeah I find they do sort of influence each other and I like that side of it yeah so going off of that who are your biggest influences it's weird because I I play the bass in this band but I probably I wouldn't name any bass players as influences I don't know it you know I sort of never really kind of looked to that kind of world I guess it was more singers for me that kind of struck a chord and hearing um different kind of like female singers of all styles of music especially like the jazz kind of 40s 50s jazz era and then just hearing lots of different styles of music as you grow up and people you know hand you kind of albums and say have you heard this and it opens doors and you sort of you feel like there's this little kind of magic club you're joining that you know no one else knows about but um yeah I guess yeah Billy Holiday and Peggy Lee and that kind of in that world and then getting you know parents record collections and hearing the Beatles and the Stones and the Who and um those that kind of music for the first time when you're younger kind of has an effect but yeah also I mean a lot of artists and painters and sculptors and what painters do you really like um francis bacon he's vicious as a painter and he's not afraid to maybe show the darker side of a human being and uh i don't know i kind of i love that kind of brutal honesty in a piece of work and you know has an immediate impact on you when you look at it also going back to us what we studied i think we approach making our music from an outside angle we'll, we'll take an inspiration from something very very strange and it just happens to be a rock band as the end result like neither of us are big rock um, experts or like completists or anything not even super fans of anything rock and roll really and uh, even our name is it's, it's a weird name because we're not a band people are like you don't sound like that you don't sound like your band name and we're not really like our band name and we're not really like our band in many respects but we just happen to have this thing at the end of our process, which is this loud, expressive thing. So one of my favorite songs by you guys is I Know What I Am. What inspired that song and what is it about? That song we wrote in Southampton and it was a combination of some musical ideas that we all had um, and uh, a local, like, older guy who used to drink in the pub that Matt um, worked in. And he, it was one of his, it was like his catchphrase. If someone kind of talked, I don't know when he, when he would say it, but he would say, um, I know what I am, they know what they are, so just let me be. Almost like, leave me alone, they don't bother me or something. And this guy said it, and we did this song, and then it, all this crazy stuff happened, and I think Matt went back and tried to explain to him what had happened. 
you, that thing that you say, he said it basically, and he heard him. That thing that you say is now iTunes single of the week in the international thing. And he, he, I don't think he really could understand that. But yeah, he, yeah, Charlie, he, he used to say that, and um, God bless him. Yeah, that was. I mean, it's amazing, and that's inspiration, right? Like, we we took that phrase and we made a song out of it. But but um, so it's surreal that you know, he doesn't even have an idea that that happened. So thank you. So how did you guys go from playing local pubs in Southampton to being international artists? Was there strategy involved? Was it chance? And also, what role did I Know What I Am play in your initial success? Well, there was 10 years between Emma joining and that moment. So we had 10 years of, of, of getting ready for our big break. And we had a couple of chances that didn't quite work out, which turned out to be really great because we didn't like sh- show our hand in a way. And when, it, when, it, when the chance did come around, we were so ready. That, like, we were like a decade rehearsed. So like we were just so hungry. I mean, there's lots of elements to it: the timing, uh, the song, uh, the people that were working with us at the time. But from our perspective, we were just so ready to take the bull by the horns. And and yeah, a bit of zeitgeist happened, and that song seemed to just punch through. So another one of my favorite songs of yours is Honest. It's such a contrast from your grittier rock material and has a sort of haunting quality. Where did that song come from? Um, it's one of those songs, it's, it, that lyric is, it's something which can be quite personal, but also maybe other people can relate to, hopefully, because it can mean lots of different things to other people. And I, I really like that in a lyric where it sort of comes from a very personal place and it's about you know, the the person you're with or the the situation in your life, but then it, when other people hear it, they can you know, it's got that level of uh, people can read their own story into it. So I think maybe that's why it works in a way. But yeah, I hope it kind of chimes with people. <laughs> also, you can kind of get typecast in a musical genre. It's really hard for people to understand that you don't just like the music you made on one song or your most well-known song and more and more that happens and my favorite bands from this from the 60s whatever my fa- favorite older bands have that depth where they have a rocker and then they also have this experimental song and different albums it's so hard to have that freedom these days people want to understand you and put you in a, a box so we've always tried to f- we've always tried to fight for that freedom and um, honest was a great Song it had it, it had a magic about it. We were getting um, goosebumps in the studio, so we're like, the album without that song is a lesser record, and I think it helped show that we were going to be doing some interesting music in the future.
So do you guys think that to some extent the internet has killed record labels and the music industry in general? I think there's always, for people that are forward-thinking, there'll always be a music industry, like any industry. But if you try and stick to an old model, then there is a danger that you can be, like, on your own. We arrived in 2009, you know, uh, they said then it's the death of the music industry and rock and roll is dead. I was like, well, almost, we were like, well, we'll prove that wrong, you know. And then every time we come back, it's always different from like, you know, into the streaming era and it, and it will change again probably by the next time we make a record. But of course you're going to need professional people to help you. And the people that survive on that side of the industry are the ones that are changing themselves. So going off of that, out of all the different ways the band makes money, which is your biggest source of income? Sinking. Definitely. Putting our music to films and games and you know initially it started with our first record and we we started working with a company in in america and it it clicked and some of those songs from the first record really took off and they were used quite a lot and i think it sort of started this thing where people knew they could maybe come to us for music for things and we were in the position that you know you can't say no because you can't afford to turn down that money basically you, you know that there aren't the advances there were before and you have to survive to make the next record you know you need to get paid so it's sort of brutal but but then it's also a way of people hearing your music and on lots of different platforms like we were saying earlier it's you know you you pick up new fans through a variety of different media now and it just feels like that's kind of escalating. But yeah, I guess it's kind of survival, really. It's, I mean, there's, you know, we, we, go, we tour a lot and we sell records, but it's the sinking that kind of keeps it afloat, which is that amazing. Is brilliant. Yeah. It's the sinking that keeps it afloat is probably the most, you could call the, if, you're, if this is a written article, I would call it that. Um, the one thing that we've been lucky to work with some cool people is we make our records that we want to make and then they find the places to put them, rather than imagining, like, changing your process to think, this would be a cool song for this thing, or let's try and get on that thing. I think you're going to just end up making bad work and probably being ultimately disappointed. So we just make our own thing, and if it, if it flies in, in another um, place, then great. And if it doesn't, that's also fine, you know. We've still made it um, the records that we want to make. Given all of the risk and hardship that accompanies a career in music, why did you guys choose to pursue it? It's not easy, and it's not for the faint-hearted, and it's still not easy. You know, it's, people think, oh, you get signed, and then it's easy running after that. It's almost harder as you go on to keep coming up with good ideas. But also, it's the challenge, you know. Why try and make a band and make it good? Because it's like, there it is. There's an empty... Every nightclub, every stage in the world has got an empty bill coming up. And if you want to make something, it, it might be good enough to fill that place, you know? And, uh, and people want new music, new art. They want to consume something new and exciting. So it's just there as a challenge. Yeah, it's that kind of desire to create something and not knowing why, but needing to do it. And it's... It's a constant drive, and it keeps you going, you know? It's like, why wake up in the morning if you can't uh, make something that only you can make and that can connect people, you know? Because 
I know it's a cliche, but everyone is alone, aren't they? So it's like wanting to make something that we get a kick out of, that has the kind of power to cross the void. It makes it all worthwhile a bit, I think, you know, having that connection with other people. Hypothetical, though. Yeah. So if, if, <laughs> we like thought that, we got, we thought we totally won that answer. If Rejection. That if that first album, let's say, was not as successful as it was, um, you know, and it, you know, playing music wasn't necessarily a viable way to make money. Um, would you guys still be doing it? Do you think? Yes. Yeah, because we did that ten-year period. Look, before we got signed, I'm not naming any names here, but plenty of people that we know that are close to us had that chat, that talk. Look, you know, I know you love doing this, and have you really thought about sorting your life out? You're taking, basically, you're taking this huge risk, you know, messing around with this music thing. It's, you know, and they're trying to let us down gently, and... I think they'd probably still be having that conversation now, right? But it's kind of ridiculous, isn't it? Because creativity in, in our culture isn't seen as a valid form of a job. To work in the creative industries, it's not given enough um, weight, I think, especially in education, especially now. It's frustrating. <laughs> and especially for like the younger generation, it's like, geez, it's like all the kind of music courses and the art courses they're all being kind of culled slowly out of education and it's just terrifying I mean we had freedom to work and create and be kind of pushed and that kind of gives you a kick when you when you find something that you love and someone goes you're good at this you should carry on doing it like that is the key I think early on and then you know it that kind of it, it plants it in your brain that it's possible and that it's doable and that's so important, I think. But I, it just kind of shows the values of where the society is at at this point. I mean, I feel like, you know, even like when as soon as I left school, there was this like sense that, you know, if you're not doing something utilitarian, like you're worthless. Yeah, like, no, it's I, a funny thing. Because then we see the reports in the news, like in the UK, for instance, it's got their, you know, uh, UK music industry has brought in so many billion dollars or pounds, whatever, this year. But they don't say that at school. Like, I think... At school, we do this thing where you have to write down your, what job you want to do. It's like the year before you leave. And I seriously put down, like, well, what I thought was musician, but they wrote down pop star, and I was obviously, like, dissing me out on it and wrote it down, like, he, Russell has decided. <laughs> I wrote it on this, like, pink slip that went back to my parents. And then they would, this is this kind of government machine they put it in. Anyone in the UK that's old enough would have done this. And it kind of gets sent somewhere, I don't know where. And you get a copy, the school keeps a copy, and this government guy comes around with a van and takes them all off. And then there's this other thing where you put in what you like, and it's like a questionnaire. They brought this computer into the school. And you say, you answer these set questions. And one of the questions is, do you like going outside? Do you like the outside? And I just answered it in a truthful way. I was like, cool, you know, yes, I like the outside. And then it, one, of the, uh, um, uh, one of the suggested careers that came printed out on a ticket, it, it was a grave digger. So, like, the algorithm of this basic machine tricked me into, you know, my grave digging career. <laughs> and, uh, which is pretty rock and roll, if you think about it, right? <laughs> but the it, band of skulls. Yeah. <laughs> I, wish, I wish I had that ticket. And if, if anyone knows, there's an archive. But um, that shows the kind of, you know... The, the, the eye rolling that goes on when kids have an ambition and they shouldn't, they shouldn't, no one should be quashed that early on. Or maybe that's what gives us the drive to really kind of see it through or do get that grave digging started, you know? I, I want one of those computers actually. Forget the ticket, I want to have that big 
clunky brown. What machine. should I be when I grow up? Yeah, it's the what should I be when I grow up machine. I um, want to, if anyone knows where those are, please, yeah. please write in. When Emma said that we are all alone, but that music has the power to cross the void, I think she meant that in life, despite only being able to know our own experience, music can act as a common denominator. We may not know what a song is about or how it makes anyone else feel, but when we listen with a group of people and everyone is grooving to the same beat, there's a collective joy that is unlike anything else in the human condition. And as long as the music plays, we are not alone. Hi, friends. Thanks for tuning in to the season finale of the Impresario Rock and Roll Radio Show with Band of Skulls. We will be back for a second season, but until then, we have some exciting things to share with you in the coming months, including some awesome t-shirts that I will personally be making. So please follow us on Instagram at impresario underscore official to stay up to date with our latest news. I would also like to mention that Band of Skulls are gearing up for their North American tour starting this September. They're hitting a ton of major cities, including New York, Phoenix, Vancouver, as well as many more, so please check their site for details. I personally will be checking out their gig at Webster Hall in New York on September 16th, so if you're going to be in the area, please join me. I'd love to see you there. Also, I'm on the lookout for great new bands to feature in the next season of the podcast, so if you know of any, shoot me an email at aaron.impresario at gmail.com.